Welcome to the GC Podcast, a podcast to help you develop into the healthiest ministry leader you can be by sharing practical ministry experience. Hello, friends, and welcome to today's episode of GC Podcast. This episode is devoted to exploring best ministry practices in the context of Grace Communion International Churches. I'm your host, Kara Garrity, and today I am blessed to interview Mako Nagasawa. Mako is an elder team member at Neighborhood Church of Dorchester in Massachusetts and director of the Anastasis Center for Christian Education and Ministry. He's been married to Ming for 24 years, and together they have adult children, John and Zoe, and teenage foster daughter, Madison. Now, Mako is um, enthusiastic about theology and, and cultural context, so he has YouTube videos now on the Lord of the Rings, the theology of Lord of the Rings, and the theology of Black. Panther. So check those out and go on ahead and check out www.anesthesiscenter.org to um, explore more of the resources of the Center for Christian Education and Ministry. Mako, thank you so much for joining the pod today. It's great to have you. Kara, thanks for having me on. It's great to be with you here. Yes. And the focus of our time together is going to be on, you know, rhythms of leadership and people development. So before we get started, I'd love to know what first kind of drew you into the teaching and training Christian education kind of niche of ministry. Sure. Um, Well, I uh, grew up in in not a Christian home. Um, My parents are uh, first and second generation Japanese Americans. I grew up in California. And then I, but I did come to Jesus as a result of uh, three good friends in high school caring about me, loving on me. Um, And so that I I did commit my life to Christ my junior year of high school. I I grew the most, though, in college. And Mm. maybe because I, you know, I'm an inquisitive person, a pretty curious person. Also, um, I, I wanted to. Uh, get involved in uh, education. Like I was at one point thinking I'd be a teacher and then a principal and then a policymaker in the U S educational system. I was, I was very interested in why have Christians um, uh, or how have Christians used power for better and for worse? Obviously I think we, you know, we're more familiar with just stereotypes uh, and, um, and, and maybe some specifics about how Christians have abused power in the past. And that's certainly true. So I wanted to ask, you know, uh, a lot more questions about, you know, so w- when have we done things well or relatively well? And also what were the conditions that uh, allowed for that? What was the kind of teaching uh, that was present? What was the, the spiritual formation and leadership development rhythms that happened there? And uh, uh, I think that's how, you know, that, that started. Um, I would say a lot of other things converged. Uh, I was a competitive swimmer. Um, and so when, you know, when you're in sports, I think you, and, and I also kind of, you know, I loved coaching other people in swimming and water polo. And so any, anytime you take a developmental, uh, approach to one thing, you start to develop a, a developmental approach to another. And, mm. Uh, I, I think it was really fun for me to transfer that, you know, over to 
the, the life of faith, the life of following Jesus. How did Jesus develop people? Can we discern that? Um, you know, and then uh, in, in uh, 2000 to 2014, I worked for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship doing uh, college ministry. And Kara, I think we should be fully honest and disclose that we, we knew each other before from that, from that time. And, and after I started the Anastasis Center and mentoring other college students, uh, that, that you worked for me. Yes, (laughs) I sure did. So, you know, a little bit about, about that and, you know, how I approach things, but, um, but it it was a real, uh, it it was fun to work with you. And obviously in, in the context of, um, developing college students, it was great to partner with you and share that context because there's a, there's a lot of development that goes on there. So I would say those are my, you know, primary uh, experiences and influences that I could identify that that I bring to the conversation here. Yes, thank you for sharing. And I'm excited to see um, what we can learn from those experiences that you bring to the table. So the first question that that I do have for you is how how does leadership development contribute to the the rhythms of a of a healthy local church. Well, I think that um, to, to start off with, you we really need to think about leadership development, um, broadly defined as you know how do you how do we invite other people into leadership roles of any sort, and mm. uh, how do we help how do we call people into partnership and deeper partnership over time? Because if we don't, then I think you and I will start to like run everything and uh, operate as if, you know, we li- we will live forever or as if mm. we will be here forever in one place. And, um, you know, heaven forbid, if, if something unexpected happens, then what will the community do? So I, I think it's incumbent on us to be doing leadership development all the time and, and to be thinking about, well, how do we integrate that into healthy church rhythms. So, you know, just the rhythm of Sabbath rest is important. Um, We need to, we need to be thinking about our own rest and, and not burning out ourselves. And that means in most cases we'll, we'll need to ask for help. So, and you know, that, that requires just a basic level of, uh, kind of self-awareness and community awareness of, well, this is what needs to be done. Um, this is kind of the minimum and, and, uh, what can I ask other people to do and help me with and things like that. I I think the other, the other thing, the way that leadership development contributes to healthy church rhythms is that we, we think about people's development in some kind of cycle. And it's easiest to think about it in terms of, you know, like a calendar year, um, you know, we, we ask someone to sign up to help out with kids church, for instance, at, at my church for a year, you know, the, the or the, the worship team or, or, uh, set up or something like that. We, we ask, uh, for a year long commitment. And then we say, we, we would like you to then be, uh, free to not do that. And may, you know, hopefully to do something else. But, um, I think that's, healthy because I think people might be afraid of saying yes to a volunteer commitment uh, if they don't know when it would end. 
<laughs> you know what yes. I mean? Like, <laughs> like, how long can you want me to do this? And <clears throat> and so I, I think that, uh, you know, obviously it could be shorter than a year, but I think that's uh, really a, a good starting point. And, <clears throat> and then, you know, in the interim, we're asking people, well, what are you learning as you, as you do this? Especially what are you learning about yourself and, and others? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, I was, when I was uh, young in ministry, I really appreciated the opportunity to, uh, to preach, for instance, or to help lead worship, to be on the worship team. And periodically, you know, uh, especially with regards to preaching, uh, my mentors would ask me, you know, after, before and afterwards, how, how did that feel? How, how did preparing go? Um, they, they laid out templates for me to use. Um, and then afterwards they asked like, so how did you feel like you experienced God in the preparation, in the delivery, you know, as you thought about people, um, prayed for them, what was that like? And there were just really good rhythms of uh, preparation and, and then debriefing that happened. So, and the, the, the same is true, maybe less often, but the same is true in, in terms of being on the worship team, um, because it, it was more about how, uh, how do I sense the spirit moving at any given point in time? How much of it is uh, preparation and forethought? How much of it is spontaneous in the moment? Um, and, and, you know, questions like that. Um, and how do I grow as a worship leader, whether that be exposure to songs or expo- especially exposure to um, new streams or traditions of worship music that I had not um, been exposed to before. Um, so, you know, those things are are really helpful. Absolutely. And two things really stick out to me from, from what you said. The first is, you know, we, we can't do it alone, right? right? We really do need to bring be bringing more people into um, ways of participating in leadership and participating in ministry. And then second, as, as we do that, it's not just about getting tasks done so that um, things keep happening, you know, the, the mechanics of, of the church or church ministry keeps going, but who are we becoming in that process? What are we learning about? How are we growing? That's right. And I think that's excellent. Right. You know, and I, I think especially now that we've lived through the COVID pandemic era, you know, and, and maybe we're, we're never totally free of it, but uh, uh, perhaps it's endemic. Um, I think we have to uh, be mindful, like, of, of, you know, people get sick. They, mm-hmm. they may not be able to, to, to come in person or something like that. And so what do we do? Um you know, the other thing I, w- I would say is when, when, when I uh, started to, to feel responsible for the life of a group or feel responsible mm. for uh, the, the experiences of other people, you know, something, something else kicked in or something about my natural personality uh, uh, was, what could be shown. Um, or came up. Uh, also, things about my family and whether we, um, my family of origin, and and whether we handled expectations well, whether we handled 
uh, communication and conflict well, like all of that starts coming up. And so I think when, uh, I think that's a really important thing then to keep bringing to Jesus and also to help other people to recognize about themselves. Because when we ask people to do things, then it, you know, they, they'll start to see um, other people through a new lens, right? Mm. And um, even like, for example, people on the setup team at my church, they, they will start to see other people who are not on the setup team. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Are, do they come on time? Why or why not? Right. Are they responsible? Can we ask them to help? You know, uh, and and so uh, th- that that can be a good experience. I mean, we can handle those questions well, but we can also handle those questions poorly yes. and and judgmentally. Right. And and then you start to see, OK, uh, you know, some people are self-critical. Some people are other critical. Some people have high expectations. Other people have low expectations of other people. And that all, that all needs talking through. Mm. Um, and, and we always need Jesus to inform us about generally, how do we approach this work and uh, how do we build community? How do we not, you know, how do, how do we help people see the importance of taking responsibility, but, um, not feel judgmental towards those who aren't at the time. So, you know, all these things come up and it is a wonderful and mysterious and uh, sometimes confusing process, but it's, and sometimes messy, but it's mm. so, but it's so important because that is what leaders need to do. Yes. And, and that's a, a, a really excellent point that I think is important for us not to miss. I'm, I'm glad that you re-highlighted that because when we talk about leadership development, it's more than just the skills or the knowledge yeah. that we need to have to do that task. And that's where, you know, leadership development and discipleship, they really come hand in hand or they overlap and in, in some sense are one and the same, right? How we see right. other people, the, those things about us, those things that need to be talked through and brought to Jesus, those, those are part of um, that, that journey of development, not just, oh, I know where this thing goes to set up and those right. are things that we need to consider. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's, that's excellent. And that, that actually gets into, you know, my, my next question that I have for you. When, when you are thinking about the development of, of leaders, what are some of the things that you take into consideration? Um, well, uh, I, I think the first thing is uh, is is the framework that I'm working in, right? And so, um, the the uh, I'll try to boil boil this down in in a simple sense. The framework that I work in is is a, a little bit of a merger between oh uh, Jesus in the Gospels and uh, you know a little bit of what I can discern in Acts and the Epistles of how did the apostles mentor other people? Uh, but it's, it is primarily drawn from the gospels and, um, and, and a tool called, <laughs> now you're going to laugh, but it's John Wooden's pyramid of success. And John Wooden was the winningest coach in NC2A basketball history. He coached UCLA <laughs> <laughs> um, for years. Um, and I forget how many, you know, NC2A championships he won, but the, I think the greatest gift to the 
the sport and his players um, was he, he drew a pyramid and he, uh, he said, you know, there's some foundational building blocks on the bottom, things related to character, for instance, like humility. And the mm. first, I, you know, I went to a basketball camp and I thought, humility? You know, mm. uh, why is that important? And why is it so foundational? And, you know, the explanation was, well, look, if you don't have humility, then you're probably not going to be a good defensive player. Right. You you might have a lot of arrogance and and therefore be motivated to develop your jump shot or have a great offensive game. But defensive games require more, uh, you know, teamwork, communication and humility uh, to to do things that aren't necessarily the showiest things in basketball. So, you know, you you could see then how skills build on top of character qualities. And that was part of his point. So I took this pyramid and said, okay, at the bottom, like the foundational level is really our faith in Jesus. What is our understanding of him? And what's our experience of him built on top of that are our desires. What's the the state of our desires? Um, Do we want more uh, of him? Do we want to see more of the kingdom? Do we, do we want, I mean, unfortunately we, on some level, we always probably want to rebel (laughs) or to resist. So, you know, what's that like? How do I, how am I prone to do that? And on top of that is character, like proven character. Uh, You know, how, how reliable am I? How honest am I? How good am I at conflict and and communication Um, and handling that with integrity? On top of that is skills, right? Like there it's, can I lead a Bible study or do, do, can I have this you know, type of conversation or whatever. And then on top of that, I think that at, at the top, the, the pointy top is really the great commission, right? And that's the, the heaviest thing that sits on top and um, it, it leads us into the world and it leads us into Jesus's love for the world, uh, respect for other people's cultures and languages and so forth. And, and so I, I look at, for example, the Gospel of Matthew, uh, like that. Uh, Jesus is developing his disciples. He calls them. He nurtures them. He, he looks at uh, all these elements, right, like their faith, their understanding of him and experience of him, their desires, like what do you mm. want, and, um, and, and their character, obviously, like the Sermon on the Mount uh, is all about character. Their skills uh, so he takes them into Gentile lands and uh, he, he helps them to explore their own, l- let's say, biases or limits or, or things like that. And, and then in the end, he gives them the Great Commission, right? And uh, when he dies and rises again, he's saying, look, I, I have a new humanity for all humanity. And you, I've called you to, I, I've prepared you to walk in that you're never done growing, but this is what it's, this is kind of a basic paradigm. So, you know, when I, when I look at developing leaders, I, I look at all these things in, in people and I try to give people opportunities to show these things to me. So, uh, I, you know, I'm, of course, I'm, I'm looking at different people's strengths and weaknesses, um, or areas of development. Um, 
I, I am looking at what have they experienced of Jesus before and uh, how do I, how can I come along and supplement that? Um, and because we're always growing. And then, mm-hmm. you know, many people haven't really looked at the state of their desires, um, maybe because they're uh, used to Christian faith being a series of ideas, right? Like, I just need to know this kind of stuff, like these creeds, or I just need to memorize some Bible verses, and then I quote them, and I think things will be fine. Well, actually, no, there, there's a lot more kind of underneath us and in in Jesus about how he shapes our desires. Um, and then, of course, character, skills, and, you know, th- those are things that can be talked about a little more easily. And, um, and then, you know, I look at, well, what is this uh, particular uh, church need or what is the college fellowship, uh, for example, when, when I was doing that work and um, what are some, what are some things, needs and opportunities that come out that are just realities. So uh, some natural rhythms I, I know would be, um, uh, you know, graduation dates. So, mm. you know, I know that, uh, or I hope that every freshman I meet will one day graduate from the the university that they're at. And so I only have a limited time. Now, churches, um, you know, have a different timetable. Uh, some people would like to say they have a womb to tomb <laughs> type of approach. Um <laughs> I, I suppose that may still be true, but I, I meet more and more, fewer and fewer people who, who think that. Um, I think it's more the case that, uh, you know, people do move around to take a new job or, or for whatever reason. And, and, and so I think it's a little more helpful to, to think in terms of blocks of time or ages mm. and stages. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And I I find that really helpful. I, <laughs> you know that that is I, I did chuckle a little bit thinking about that that tool coming from from basketball, but that that is important, right? When we skip those foundational steps, I mean, we do find ourselves in a little bit of trouble down the road. And so I, even thinking about that as a visual, I think that that's something that can be really helpful for us who are coming alongside um, those who are developing and even thinking about our, our own personal development, right? Where right. where have we started in our development? Where do we want to start? Do we want to start way up at the skills or do we really want to start at the foundation? Right. And, and um it's imp- it, I, I'm not saying that that's just um, necessarily a chronological path to take with people and developing them, but it is a somewhat logical uh, structure. So, so for instance, you know, when I ask uh, folks, who are the uh, people in your life who don't know Jesus? And, you know, what questions do they ask you about your faith and your life with Christ? Um, you know, there, there's... Some people might say, you know, I, I study the sciences or I work in the sciences or in a technical field, and I just don't know how to answer questions about, let's say, uh, evolution and creation, right? Or what, what does Genesis really say about these kinds of things? So, you know, that would be a skills type of question, um, meaning 
underneath that, they they have um, a real faith, uh, with and their life with Jesus is rich. They have the desire to uh, share their life and, with Christ with other people. They they have a character that is um, has enough integrity where non Christians w- would find them credible, and it's just a matter of skills. However, mm. I mean, you know, and, and so I can, I'm glad to work on that with people. Um, but at the same time, there are other people who say, <clears throat> you know, I, maybe not quite as bluntly as this. I don't have non-Christian friends and I don't want any, um, mm. you know, that, that, that's a different issue. And um, that could be a character question. It could be a faith question. It goes deeper down. Right. And so, when when you ask people questions like this, um, hey, you know, who are the the folks around you in your life that don't know Jesus, and and how do you engage with them, and where do where do you see him working in them, um, drawing them to himself? Uh, I think a whole lot of levels then become um, apparent, and, and and that's just one of the questions, but it, it is significant. And uh, it is helpful. So, you know, there, there's just some people who say, you know, I, that's a good question. I, I do have folks who don't know Jesus in my life, but, you know, come to think of it, I don't know if I really know Jesus because I don't know how to explain him or, you know, talk about his role in my life with other people. And I say that not as a judgmental question, but it, or not judgmentally, but it's more, uh, okay, then you've just helped me know how to encourage you, how to develop you. Mm, yeah, and I maybe even clarification that it's not necessarily chronological because I I suppose we're we're always growing in in all of those aspects, but it it kind of helps to identify where 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 that's that on ramp is for that particular question or in that particular moment. Um, in, in terms of development. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's really helpful. And, and it's, you know, I talk a lot about in development, you know, thinking about bringing the, the right kind of resources at the right time, uh, you know, at the, to the right person, you know, for the right, um, thing at hand that God has for them, or, you know, just lining those things up. And I think that, that that's kind of what I see that this kind of um, framework could be helpful for, because if it is an issue just of skill, then that's that. But if it is something that's deeper, addressing just the layer of skill is not really what's going to be helpful. And so to have some kind of a framework that can help us one with another to explore that, I think um, is really powerful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I really like how you said that, that, you know, the, the right, uh, skill for the, or the right approach for the right need for the right moment for the right person. Um, you know, because it, it is hard to, to take a, a one size fits all approach. I mean, I, I, I think that is the challenge of Sundays, right? Sunday services and whenever we gather, uh, but we, we have to recognize it. It's not going to serve everyone in the same way. And so, you know, we, we do rely on these rhythms, uh, like weekly meetings, but, you know, we, we have to also be aware, like, we're going to have to come alongside people in, 
unique ways in uh, deeply personal ways at times we, we may need other people to we may need other others like um, counselors or uh, specialists to come alongside people and um, lend a hand so the the question of kind of I've heard it described as just in time or just in case type of training um, yeah I mean there are some people who respond better to just in time training they they are already in the need and uh, in the situation and so it's like give me the answer <laughs> mm, mm-hmm. There, there are other people who are more like me who are, I'm not going to, you know, I need it just in case, right? I Give me the training because I would prefer to feel some competence before I get into the situation. Um, otherwise, it's overwhelming. So, you know, even that kind of difference between people necessitates uh, different approaches. Yes, that's... That's that's a good observation and that in some way this this development is relational and personalized. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's good. You did mention, uh, Mako, that, that <clears throat> you've done work with uh, Christian fellowships on campus and, and with college students. And so I'm, I'm wondering how has your work specifically with college students informed um, how you approach development or even... Um, you know what? How how you think about development? Yeah, I I feel very privileged to have done um, you know fourteen years of campus ministry at at mostly residential schools. I mean, there there were schools in the Boston area where I lived that and where I've served that were not residential, but the, they were commuter. But the reason I say residential schools is because it, it's just so easy to see. Um, people's lives, right? When they live there and, and you see their friendships, it's, it's easy for them to invite friends to things. Um, you know, when, when you, when you live in a urban or suburban or rural community, it's much harder just to get a, a, a deeper sense of who is this person in relation to their, uh, neighbors, for instance. Um, so, you know, that, that was really easy uh, to do. And one of the ways that I did campus ministry was I would set up um, public displays every now and then, and they were conversation starters on a topic like uh, uh, the Bible or evil in the world or technology or race or, you know, like uh, how much of an atheist are you? And uh, we would ask questions on these artistic displays and people would just come around. They would be passing by either in the cafeteria or in the common area. And um, it would be really easy just to say, hey, do you want to take our survey and then start up conversations? And then when uh, the, stu- the students, the Christian students came by, uh, they would often bring their friends because they, they knew or they had enough uh, experience of me to know that, hey, you know, I'm going to handle their questions thoughtfully, um, sensitively, not dismissively. This is how I, you know, approach these types of topics. And and so they they would become part of this conversation or they would uh, uh, allow me to be part of the conversation that they were already having with their friends. Or, or maybe they weren't yet having those conversations with their friends, but they wanted to. 
So, mm. um, you know, that, that was part of it. Um, and, uh, that's kind of how I thought about, okay, how do I engage, uh, with the Jesus's great commission, uh, and invite students into it and also observe them. So sometimes I would listen to them, uh, start these conversations and, uh, they, they, in, you know, at different points would say, Mako, I, I didn't have an answer to that question. Uh, how do we know, you know, um, uh, Jesus cares about the marginalized or how do we know, uh, about evolution and creation uh, or how do we know about the problem of evil and suffering? Like these things. What do we say? What are, what are the best Christian answers to these things? And we would talk about that. So that was a lot of fun. And, and mm. I would say, uh, and I would say that also then fed into um, a, a general sense that I had about what scriptures were most important for college students to become really deeply familiar with. And again, because I only had them for usually for years, right? Maybe less if they went abroad, maybe more if they took some time um, and stretched that out. But to make a long story short, I came to think that the most important scriptures for college students to know was the Gospel of Matthew, the book of Genesis, and 1 Corinthians and Ephesians. And if I could cover those books with students in a four-year time period, which we did, um, that some of the most important things uh, about Christian life and faith we would be talking about. And, and just briefly, you know, why those? The Gospel of Matthew is because you get to see the Jewishness of Jesus, I think, the most clearly. And so the, the, Matthew is very explicit about weaving in Old, the Old Testament background, the Jewish background of Jesus. So he retells Israel's story when he goes into the the, the red uh, the the water and the wilderness for forty days. Right, he's he's retelling Israel's story of going into the water and the wilderness for forty years, coming to a mountain. Jesus comes to a mountain. He talks about God's commandments at this mountain. So what's Jesus doing? He's setting the expectation that he will retell our stories. Uh, when he comes into our lives, and he's also handling the problem of human evil in human nature, that the, the problem of human evil is not abstract, it's not intellectual, it's existential, experiential, it is in us. And so we need a God who is 100% good, who's going to take our human humanity up on his own shoulders and purify that human nature and perfect it and give it back to us. So that way we have a, a really good connection between Jesus and his Jewish context. We have an answer to the problem of evil, and we are also setting expectations for discipleship, which is Jesus will come to retell your story. <laughs> like, mm, so, he, mm -hmm. so he's very personal. He will do it with you. So there may be things, there will be things that, uh, in your life that he will want to re redo with you in partnership because you messed up last time and we need to set that relationship straight, for instance. Right. And there are just lots of things like that. And, um, you know, the timing of covering certain topics in Matthew matched the timing of important 
conversations that people needed to have. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you cover the Sermon on the Mount next soon afterwards, and you're already covering really important issues about how do you handle anger? Well, when freshmen get onto campus, they're, um, they're starting, they need to figure out who they want to room with, right? Like within a matter of months mm. and, and making a commitment like that to people is scary. So it's a really good time to talk about what are you, what is your relationship with anger? And <laughs> give me some examples of reconciliation, of conflict resolution. That, that's there in Matthew 5. So, I mean, just lots of good stuff. And, and, and that's just one book. Genesis covers what is God's purpose from creation is to spread the garden. And also God relates to people in surprising ways because it's before the Sinai covenant. And in the Sinai covenant, I think God accelerates dynamics of, you know, sin leads to death. And that is serious, but um, I, I think people then develop this idea that God's justice is a retributive justice because of that relationship. In reality, God's justice is a restorative justice. And you can see that very clearly before uh, God initiates the Sinai covenant with Israel, because all throughout Genesis, I mean, people screw up all the time <laughs> and mm. God doesn't respond with the thunderbolts. Um, when he protects the Israelites, like in the flood or, you know, in uh, Sodom and Gomorrah or with Egypt, he, he's protecting their future because, uh, you know, if there's no Israel, then there's going to be no Jesus. And if there's no Jesus, then there's no redemption of human nature. So we can't have that. So unfortunately, yes, God does have to protect Israel in order to protect his restorative purposes. Um, but see, that's a different paradigm than most people understand. And, uh, and, and certainly when non-Christians ask us, what about the angry God of the Old Testament? Then we need to have answers. And then 1 Corinthians and Ephesians are really important because uh, they talk about union with Christ from different angles. So 1 Corinthians talks about the body uh, uh, and the corporate body and our personal body and how to handle those things uh, in light of Jesus's resurrection body. And then Ephesians talks about being the body of Christ as uh, indwelt by him as a new temple. And, um, I, you know, I think those things feed my sense of development uh, of students. And when when students start to started to see like, oh, there's actually real connections uh, between all this material. And it was, it was really fun and eye-opening for them. Now that is absolutely fantastic because the, the two things that I, I really want to highlight for our listeners is with those um, on campus, when you had those in, engaging surveys, one of the things that you were able to, to do in that time, or really the two things you were able to do out of that activity, is to provide that space of hands-on mentoring yep. with your students. And, and you know, either through the, you know, I'm going to listen and then you can come back and ask me the questions that you weren't sure about, 
or to be alongside them and starting of the conversations and, and engaging of the conversations. I mean, that hands-on opportunity to um, be engaged in those spaces of, of ministry, of, of having conversations with their friends who aren't Christian, of um, being engaged on campus in that way is, is so good. And in GCI, we talk a lot about mentoring and especially the apprenticeship square. And mm. it sounds a lot uh, you know, in, in some ways like, like that, you know, I do, you watch is one of the stages and then you do, I watch and, mm. and to do that when you're really hands on in, in the midst of the spaces of, of real life ministry, I think is an excellent way, um, that, that we experience development. And I think the second thing out of that, that was so important that, that shouldn't be lost by our, our listeners is that from that you learned a lot about the context of the college students that better informed how you came alongside them in development you really stepped into their context and their and their lives because I mean you could have chosen anything right <laughs> as their campus staff member um, to to come alongside them whatever Bible studies whatever skill sets whatever but you chose things that were actually relevant to what they were encountering day to day, the conversations that they were having, the questions they were being asked, the questions they were asking themselves. And I think that that is really important for um, effective development is, is understanding coming into the context of the people that um, we're coming alongside to develop. And we talk a lot about um, in GCI, like play sharing and incarnational ministry. And I think mm-hmm. that's just uh, an excellent example of that because how how can we develop appropriately for the context god has placed us in for a particular season if if we have no familiarity with what that particular context is so that's that's really good i I appreciate you sharing those examples mako well uh you were part of that story so that was a lot of fun and you know i think that it's um in, in some ways harder to do campus ministry in some ways easier, right? Because um, it, it's harder because you, you have so many more ideas. Uh, so people of every religious background present on campus, you, you, uh, you know, the whole world is represented on a college campus. And uh, not only that, but people are there. Sometimes they're free from their parents for the first time. Right. Yes. So they're, they're really enjoying that freedom. Um, so yeah, there, there are, there are things that are hard about that particular age group and um, context, but on, on the other hand, it's easier because um, well, because um, you know, and I know we'll get into this, but the local at the local church, you, you have to be concerned about a much wider uh, span of age groups. You you have to be concerned about the particular location uh, that people are in, their jobs, their neighborhoods. Um, it's harder to bring people together, certainly, um, and uh, and you have to think about things like childcare, <laughs> so mm, yeah, uh, or a handicap ramp, right? Like and, and things have to uh, be be present. Um, in order to to make meeting possible, even with uh, college students, there's you, you, 
you know, those things that, well, there aren't usually, there aren't usually children, um, right. on, at least on a residential college campus. And if you do need a, a wheelchair ramp, most colleges nowadays provide that for you. So <clears throat> that may not be true, right. And some of our buildings and, and things like that. So yeah, new, new challenges. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, you, this is a good time then to, to segue into that with your experience, both in your local church, but also the, the work that you do with the Anastasis Center. How has that work with people who are either new in church leadership or have maybe even been longtime church leaders, how has that kind of spoken into your approach to the development? Great question. Uh, so fundamentally, I, I still use the same uh, development pyramid mm, yeah. <laughs> that I described, and uh, I find it to be helpful. Now, uh, you know, I, and, and uh, we, we talk about having a, a developmental approach to people on our leadership, you know, uh, it, it, within our elder team for other people. And so we're always looking for ways to help uh, people develop and uh, take on at least a, a challenge or some kind of responsibility. Now, <clears throat> with relation, with regards to evangelism, um, I still think that's really important. So I I'm, try to make it a point to visit people at their offices, right? Like I, because mm. I want to get to know not only what they do and because um, that, that's useful too and uh, that's personal, uh, but it's also a place where they spend most of their time. Right. So, yeah. uh, I, I want to kind of see or, or have some sense for like, who are the people that they're working with? Is this, um, you know, uh, uh, an organization that, that does really, you know, uh, really interesting work or, or how's that going to challenge the people? And, um, you know, and how easy is it just to have personal conversations with folks? Um, maybe it's not. It's not always, right? Like I, I've known plenty of people to, who have been um, like Amazon delivery drivers, and you just don't have a lot of opportunities. So, mm -hmm. okay. Um, a lot of folks in my, in my church congregation are teachers. Oh, my goodness, right? And so the, the COVID pandemic has, has been so hard on them. They are frontline workers. Not only that, but many of them were young parents. So they had to manage kids at home and a classroom through Zoom. Yeah. So, you know, just knowing those things about them is, is really important uh, and being able to pray for them. But yeah, uh, similar things. Uh, you know, I learn what might uh, conversations about faith and Jesus be like in the workplace. And, you know, sometimes I understand it's not always easy. Sometimes it's quite hard to do that. Um, sure. Uh, nevertheless, right. I mean, people are people and you, you're always going to tell personal stories. So, you know, so we figure that out together. And, um, and, and at other times when I, have done things with the youth of my church. <clears throat> like I did uh, the theology of Marvel's black Panther, um, or, uh, we, we set up, 
nowadays we invest a lot of our time in a park um, and during part of the year we actually meet in that park it's called elmhurst park on sundays and so uh, we do set up some of those public displays and um, you know what one of them was called is god a liberator or an oppressor and we set up outside mm -hmm. and we just talk to people who pass by and it was really good really good and um the the youth especially started to see like you know i don't need to be afraid of that question there are answers um there are things that i'll need to be mindful of as a uh, as a christian about christian history and um uh but yeah it's really important so i continue to you know do that and you know, I think that uh, I, I think that then when we gather on Sundays, it gives it, it gives the opportunity to highlight how has God worked in some of those connections. And so, you know, one quick example of this would be actually just this uh, this past year. Uh, what happened is that um, there's a young a young lady, 18 years old, uh, senior in high school. And she helps out on the worship team. She's wonderful. Her name is Destiny. And um, she invited everyone in church to uh, cheer her on at her basketball games because she's huge into basketball. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I actually went and brought my foster daughter, who, is, who was um, 13 at the time. Uh, this was late last year in the wintertime. So... So um, as a result of seeing Destiny play, uh, my foster daughter wrote an email to her teachers and the coach saying, can you give me a second chance, please, uh, to be on the team? Because um, she had had one too many behavioral incidents at school. Mm. <laughs> uh, you know, she's in eighth grade. So I'm a, uh, I, and I, I understood the policy. I, um, am totally supportive of it, but you know, she, she advocated for herself. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and they let her on. So long story short, um, she did a great job on the team and, um, even scored the winning basket of the last game of the season. I mean, it was wow. so great, but more importantly, um, she did not have, uh, any behavioral incidents at school because basketball season, right? Like she didn't want to risk not playing. Um, right. And this was really the, um, the second time that I saw her really push herself and work hard to the point of, uh, you know, suffering for something that she loved. And, um, you know, the, the, the previous school year, it was track. She, she did, uh, run on the track team. That was really great because, <clears throat> you know, as a young person with some trauma in her background, I, I understand that you don't, you know, kids with trauma find it harder to um, eat food that they're not familiar with or uh, challenge themselves physically uh, because they, they, they want that there's a deeper desire to have comfort in their body do things that make them feel comfortable, which I totally understand. However, at the same time, it's really important to 
to learn how to push yourself and to care about something um, that you're really willing to work hard at and to suffer for. And, you know, I was, a, again, uh, uh, played competitive sports, but I also have been into music and art and, and the life of faith as well. And, and I think that every aspect of life has this hurdle, right, where you you hit this this level where you can't rely on just being naturally good at something. You have to really work hard. And um, when you push through it, you know, it, there's a lot of tears and uh, soreness and humility. But when you push through it on the other side, you feel uh, a new sense of joy, like, and you enjoy the feeling of growth. So, you know, I, I wanted her to have that. And now, now she has a touch point to that. So it, it was an incredible moment. And, uh, you know, I, I just shared that on this past Sunday because uh, there was another, another uh, young man who is about 30 now who has invested in young people, uh, youth especially, for years now. And, um, you know, he, he invested directly in Destiny. There are other people who have invested into her family and her neighborhood. And so there was a whole web of connections. And, um, you know, uh, it was just kind of a magical moment where you could see sometimes the way God works is um, it, it, it comes through like working hard at relationships. And that is true. And that's important. But other times it's as simple as, Hey, you want to come to my basketball mm. game? <laughs> and, yeah. and, um, and just being willing to share space with people and invite people into your life just a little bit. I mean, it's huge. And, uh, and, and the intergenerational nature of the church community then really comes into play, right? Because uh, you do have uh, high schoolers serving as role models for middle schoolers or junior high folks and, and, and then elementary school kids. You, you totally have that. And uh, sometimes there's a lot of intentionality that goes into those relationships. And at other times, it's just a matter of being around and it's wonderful. So that's how, that's how I've approached, uh, you know, development as well. Uh, you know, I, we, we can, I, I, I could tell some more stories about using uh, a book and a paradigm called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, which focuses, which is a book by um, Pete and Jerry Scazzaro. They're, they um, live in New York and they engaged very deeply with um, spiritual disciplines and spiritual formation and rhythms of spiritual uh, practices that help people open up to one another and have a common life, but most importantly, open up to God and be reminded of Jesus's presence. So we practice a slowed down spirituality um, where we're regularly encouraging people to stop, breathe, uh, feel what their body is feeling. Uh, so every Sunday we, uh, you know, before we enter into our worship songs, 
we take a moment of silence and we say, uh, let your mind and your emotions catch up with where your body is. Because <laughs> mm. <laughs> we want to be present here. We want to be present to one another and especially to the Lord. And we bring all these things with us. Um, but we also need to be attentive and um, expectant to, to hear from him, to see him reflected in stories uh, that people share, about, you know, when they, when they can or from the word. And um, it's, it's really wonderful. Uh, we are a, we, because we live in a black community um, and our pastor, Valerie Copeland is a 60 year, you know, year old um, African-American woman who was president of her labor union, um, the SEIU. Uh, uh, you know, I, I think we, we're also concerned about uh, issues of race, justice, and um, citizenship, right? So there, there are ways that we really want people to know, hey, uh, this is what's happening with gun violence in our community. This is what youth are dealing with. This is the um, level of, of trauma that's out there. At the same time, you know, let's talk about police brutality. Let's talk about housing uh, and inequalities and, and barriers that this country has put in the way of black and brown people uh, paying off debt and moving into asset uh, building and home ownership. So lots of things like that. We, we talk about, well, why is it that there's all these private universities like, uh, you know, this is Boston, right? So Harvard, Northeastern, BU, they, they are technically nonprofit companies, so they don't have to pay property taxes. But there are hedge funds in the back, right, of their operations, and they're buying up more and more of Boston. Their, the, you know, their students and faculty and staff use all kinds of uh, resources like the subway, the buses, the roads, but they don't pay for it. So it's it's just a question of fair taxation. So we bring this before our people all the time, and um, I, and. Uh, you know, our church is more diverse than the neighborhood. Uh, there, there are, uh, it's, it's about, um, you know, just a little over half our congregation is black, um, either black American or Haitian, uh, other Caribbean immigrant, um, Cape Verdean, or, uh, you know, and, the, and then the other uh, part of our church, white, Asian, Latino. And, um, and so it's really important for us to kind of be uh, connected to a rhythm of uh, reflection on the, the neighborhood and the community that we are in. And so we actually take February as Black History Month and uh, recognize Black church leaders in history. Obviously, Dr. Martin Luther King, but Fannie Lou Hamer and, and others who have played a huge role in the development of uh, not just Boston, but the U.S. And, and then uh, we, are, uh, we, we take Memorial Day um, as, yes, it's Memorial Day, but it's also the anniversary of the murder of George Floyd. And um, those Sundays, four Sundays up to um, Juneteenth, which is now a national holiday, celebrating the kind of the end of slavery as it was announced um, in the South, right, in Texas on, um, on June 19th, 
many, many years ago. So the rhythms that we use in, in our church reflect a way of staying engaged, a way of uh, keeping up to date with current events and um, casting forth a, a vision of what it means to be a Christian citizen in our communities and um, trying uh, as a person in a community that's trying to bring shalom, God shalom into, into our lives, into our neighborhoods. This is really important. So do we do Advent and Lent? Yeah, we do all these things. But on top of that, we layer in um, a, a liturgical rhythm that really rests on uh, the historic black church in the U.S., I think that is unusual, uh, as far as I can tell, um, especially for a diverse church, but I, I think it's been so powerful. And I, I would really encourage, you know, um, this audi our audience to consider things like that. How do we build in rhythms that help us uh, maintain a vision of engagement? with our neighbors and a sense of citizenship. Yeah, that is, I mean, there's so much richness in all that you just shared. Going back a couple of things that mm -hmm. that really um, spoke to me is the the communal aspects mm -hmm. of of development. How, you know, you you said something about a, a web that that is being weaved and and how sometimes it's the intentionality and sometimes it's just inviting into your life a little bit and and how that's intergenerational as well i right. think that that's really key um, because development starts at, at all stages development is generational we can all participate in the development of of one another to, to a certain extent because we are part of the body together uh -huh. and i think that was a a really beautiful um, example of that uh, a story that you shared and so I, I really thank you um, for sharing that and I uh -huh. pray that that's something that we continue to see more and more in our church is a, a vibrancy right of, of uh -huh. the body of Christ coming together and then uh, you know even in what you just shared I think that is something that that develops us as a community when we have rhythms that do connect us to engagement in our neighborhood that's something that that develops us missionally develops us um in connection and, and and develops us in that in that way and so i think yeah that's that's a really important um thing that you've put out there for us to consider glad it was helpful yeah i mean it's a great reminder to me of the things that can happen the the ways that the lord can work Absolutely. And kind of in that vein, I mean, the the next thing that, that I was wondering about, I know that this is one of the things that um, I and others especially see in, in you as a particular gifting that God has given you, you know, the gift of evangelism and, and having that kind of missional um, posture and, and mindset. So so how, how do you approach developing either um, new members in a church community, those who are um, new Christians, those who, who aren't, um, aren't Christians, how, how do you uh, approach um, development in that sense? Mm. That, that's a great question. You know, in our church, we do have a uh, exploring membership class that is uh, three or four sessions long. And we, we're regularly doing that now, like at, at least once a year. Last year, we did it twice. 
um, uh, based on people's availability and interest. And uh, for members, you know, I think that, <clears throat> or for new Christian members who are looking to really be part of a community, I, th- I think that uh, we just try to be as, number one, transparent as possible about how the church works um, in our particular church, you know, like here's our budget here, here's the, uh, the commitments that we have made and the help that we need to carry out what we think, uh, God has laid on our hearts, uh, in terms of our, you know, special mission, um, and our context. So we, we talk a lot about partnership. We read the book of Philippians together and we talk about that because, uh, there Paul talks a lot about partnership. Um, mm. partnership in the gospel, partnership with one another. And what does that look like? Um, so, you know, briefly that, that is, uh, how, how we introduce folks. Um, you know, I think that our, our church rhythm says a lot already about us, which is nice because then we don't have to just keep repeating ourselves. This is not a matter of just rhetoric. Mm. Um, It's a matter of our church structure. So there's that. Uh, We do have, um, you know, periodic uh, kind of trainings like, or discussions, how do we share the gospel? And, um, you know, how do we answer this tough question or that tough question? So uh, we, we have a Facebook group that, um, I'm sure most churches do, but as a forum for bouncing ideas around and a whole bunch of other things, right? Like just friendly messages and and things like that. But um, yeah, that is how we develop new members. I think it's pretty important to, to say, you know, the way we understand Jesus is, um, is as a reflection of the father. Right. And I know GCI is huge on this point. And I so love um, the, the, folks, the leadership and the organization of GCI for that. Um, and, you know, I, 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 I think what we as a church also have landed on is um, we say God's justice is restorative, not retributive. And we're comfortable saying that, that sometimes uh, makes people ask more questions, but that helps, helps us set expectations for like a, uh, we are always called into partnership with God to restore things. So restore ourselves, restore relationships, restore the shalom that God wants for, you know, our community, for the world. So that's important just to set expectations. Um, With new believers, um, you know, folks who are new to Christ, uh, I, I think, I think that, you know, we, you know, we do have a baptism class. We, I mean, we talk about what it means to be a new believer. We have some literature on that. We are often doing book discussions. Um, and, and it's not as, <laughs> it's not as simple as, uh, studying the gospel of Matthew, which is what I would really like to do, but, um, <laughs> because, you know, people are coming in at, at all ages. But I think the basic paradigm is still there. Um, and, you know, our heart is there. It's in our, it's woven into our preaching and, and so on. So, so I'm encouraged by that. Uh, 
And then, of, of course, there are folks who are not yet believers, and um, they they may not have made a commitment to Jesus, but they're for one reason or another because they've become part of our community. And I think there it has uh, a, a lot to do with how do we develop them uh, comes out of our understanding of Genesis, right, and our understanding of the creation and the being made in the image of God. So uh, I th- what it means is, yes, uh, even though uh, we wrestle with sin and brokenness, we, there is still the image of God that we're made in. And that means that our desires, at least originally, are good. Now, we may not handle all those desires well, or appropriately, but but fundamentally, they're good. And so, you know, our desire for community, our desire for love, our desire for justice, meaning, beauty, um, those are good, and that it comes from God. And so, as as people enter into our community, uh, they are also hopefully uh, reflecting a little bit on themselves. They're getting to know themselves in a context where uh, they hope, uh, we hope that they will see that Jesus is the, the full revelation of goodness, beauty, justice, meaning, and so on. So um, it, it's, less, it's less a structure and more something that is caught. Um, mm. it, it's in the air we breathe. So, but, but that that language, that common language is very important. And I, I will say that, <clears throat> you know, I, I'll just paint the contrast. Um, people who are overly influenced by uh, the tradition of Augustine to, to Luther and Calvin that emphasized only sin and only depravity in human beings um, I think have done us a disservice, right? Because then, then Christians get really suspicious of non-Christians of like, Hey, there's no good in you. And, Mm. um, you know, I, I'm more suspicious and afraid of my neighbor than curious and, uh, uh, expecting to, to actually, uh, have a valuable friendship here. Right. I mean, if all you think of other, other people who are not following Jesus is they're just evil. It's not a recipe for a good conversation or a good friendship. The, um, you know, and, and then the, the event, what evangelism is going to look like in that paradigm is I'm going to just tell you stuff. (laughs) and I want to hear your response. Mm. Um, And, you know, Jesus did this and that, and, you know, how do you respond? You know, there, it's always important to be able to say what Jesus did and what Jesus love is like, but to, to not listen as part of evangelism is awful. I mean, you and I, and I'm sure everyone on this, you know, hearing this podcast knows what it's like to be in the presence of someone who really doesn't listen to much of what you say. And is not curious about your life. But if God is working in people's uh, hearts, their consciences, as Paul says in in Romans 2, then we would expect that uh, 
there, there is something that we would connect to in the lives of non-Christians. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, that's part of what is the ethos at our church. Mm. No, that's really helpful, Marco. And unfortunately, we're coming up towards the end of our time. So I have just one final question for you. Sure. Um, what what words of encouragement would you leave with our listeners when it comes to um, the development of people and leaders in the local church? Great question. I, I think I would just uh, continue on that uh, that theme, which is God is always at work. Mm. And we, we are we are we are never the initiators of God's work in other people's lives. We we get the privilege of coming alongside the work of Jesus by his spirit in other people, regardless of where they're at in relation to him, because God is always doing things to draw people towards Jesus and towards more and more Christ likeness. So, you know, we we need to cultivate uh, good listening skills. We, we we need to have spiritual ears and eyes to discern what God is doing in other people. And I, I think that, uh, you know, that, that makes leadership development a lot of fun. That makes, yes. you know, it makes evangelism a lot of fun because it's not just a two-way conversation that we're having with, you know, ourselves and myself and another person. It's really a three-way conversation, at least. Mm. And um, we're asking questions. What, God, what are you doing here? What is this opportunity before us? Um, and if there is something that you're, you know, you, you know you're, you're laying uh, you're on other people's hearts, or if you're nudging them in a certain direction, then just help me to, to see it. Um, I would say, enjoy the book of Philippians, especially Philippians 2, 13, right? Mm. For it is God who is at work in you to, to will and to want or to do and to desire to do his good work. That is just great stuff. Mm. That is such a great word to end us on. Thank you, Marco, so much for your time with us today. But I'm not finished with you just yet. I do have a number of fun and random questions for you. So if you're ready, the first thing that comes, yes, the first thing that comes to mind and we will rapid fire question. All right. Okay. Good to go. Yep. All right. So I know you like cooking. So this first question, what is your favorite seasoning? Ooh, ooh. Well, um, uh chipotle peppers oh okay that's a good one that's a good one what is something that always gives you childlike joy Mm. um hmm reading some of my favorite books so these days it would be like tolkien's lord of the rings a little bit of harry potter some narnia that kind of thing Oh, that's excellent. Because my next question was, what is your favorite Lord of the Rings quote? Ooh. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I, oh gosh, that's so hard. I know. <laughs> you know, in, in the past few months, um, 
uh, I would say it's been, it's because I lost my mom in October. So it's been Gandalf saying um, to the, the hobbits at the very end of the book before he and Frodo and the elves uh, sail away from Middle Earth and they go to the Undying Lands. The, um, he says, I will not say, do not weep, for not all tears are an evil. Oh, mm, it's, it just that gets is me. Beautiful. Oh, that is a beautiful one. Yeah. <sighs> Let's see. What would the title of your autobiography be, Marco? <laughs> well yeah that's a really good question um how about he tried <laughs> i love it i love it <laughs> all right <laughs> now i really like that okay if you could invent a holiday what would it be and what would you call it oh 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 man um, I would invent a holiday that somehow honors Irenaeus and Athanasius, uh, my two favorite church fathers, right? Like either, you know, something about them, their life, their leadership, Irenaeus was martyred, you know, so we can, uh, pick a day, day to, to honor that or, or Athanasius suffered five times in exile, uh, to defend the deity of Jesus. I don't know. Something like that. That's that would good. be so cool. Yeah, I like it. I like it. We need to celebrate the saints. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do. All right. And then final question. What is your biggest pet peeve? <laughs> <laughs> My biggest pet peeve. Uh, oh, boy. <clears throat> now you have to expose yourself. I know. I know. Um, it's... Uh, <laughs> okay these in, in this season of life it's it's when i discover that my son has slept on the couch instead of going to his room he has a bed <laughs> you know what i mean like it's just it's just laziness it's just laziness <laughs> oh that's too funny that's too funny i laugh especially because i do that more than i should as well <laughs> <laughs> I feel we, you, John. I feel you. We got we got to make sleep. Sleep is a choice, right? It's not it's not, not just something that happens to you while you're watching your videos. <laughs> oh, we agree to disagree, Mako. <laughs> oh, but on that lovely note, I so appreciate you taking the time to join us today. It was a wonderful and rich conversation, and I'm sure that our listeners will take much away to ponder and I pray put into practice. And so um, it is our practice to end our episodes with prayer. And so, Mako, would you be willing to pray for our churches and pastors and ministry leaders in GCI? Absolutely. And Kara, it's great to reconnect with you. Uh, and, um, and to be with you in, in this GCI context, it's an honor, uh, to, to be on the podcast. So let's pray. Heavenly father, thank you so, so much that you are always at work developing us and, uh, a great deal of our development has to do with discerning other people's development, being an encouragement to them teaching them, 
uh, role modeling things to them, being mindful of them. And I pray that you would give all of uh, these GCI leaders joy Mm. in doing that. Um, May you open up the broad horizons of your love in front of them, in front of uh, the people for, for whom they cast vision and hold vision in place. And I pray that uh, you would, uh, by your spirit, bring new things to life, new fruit, new opportunities, and uh, a new life of, in the garden of sorts, as best we can have it here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Until next time, folks, keep on living and sharing the gospel. We want to thank you for listening to this episode of the GC Podcast. We hope you have found value in it to become a healthier leader. We would love to hear from you. If you have a suggestion on a topic or if there is someone who you think we should interview, email us at info at gci.org. Remember, healthy churches start with healthy leaders. Invest in yourself and your leaders.